RadioInfluence.com. It's bowl season. Happy holidays to you and yours. Scott Seidenberg here alongside Chris Landry, veteran coach, scout, and consultant. LandryFootball.com is the website. It's Rush the Field, the college football podcast for you, the college football fans. And sure, we can debate the college football playoff until the cows come home, Chris. But before we get into all of that, there was breaking news this week, and that is Urban Meyer's decision to step down as the head coach of the Ohio State University. What I wanted to ask you was this something that was known earlier in the season? Yeah, it is. I, I, I've known Urban guys since he he was a GA at at Ohio State, and I was a young coach at LSU. We actually faced one another, and I've I've gotten really close to him, you know, for for a while. And, and just in talking to him a few times this season, I could sense that this was happening. And I, I don't think you needed to be to know him real well to know that this was coming down for a while. If you've Anybody that's followed the season, anybody that has seen – well, I mean, I know the Maryland game was the most obvious one that you could see his struggles on the sideline. The health is a real issue. When they made Ryan Day the interim coach in waiting – not the interim, but he was the interim at the beginning of the year. But when they named him coach in waiting following Urban Meyer's return – that was done with the idea that this was this was going to happen at the end of the year. This was done in concert with Urban, Gene Smith, the athletic director. Their relationship's still very good, not so much with the president. Um, and this is a way for Urban to kind of go out on his own terms, um, and in a way where he's leaving his alma mater in great shape. And it's something that is important to him too is a lot of people in the on the staff is going to stay there. Now there'll be some coaching changes, but a lot of the infrastructure in the staff that, that quite frankly, Ohio state doesn't look at this as they're struggling or that they needs to be changes. Scott, this is just urban needs to move on and retire due to health reasons. And, and they want to keep that together, which is why there's not this national search to hire someone else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They feel they got their guy. They love their guy. They feel he is a superstar. And to, and to some degree, they see this as their version of Bob Stoops handing it over to Lincoln Riley in in Oklahoma. So that's how it played out. But there is no question this has been in play for a while. And, you know, what's interesting is you could see that. You could see uh, the way he and Shelly, his wife, reacted after the Michigan game. He's going to go out 7-0 against Michigan. And due to the quirkiness of today's modern-day bowl structure, he's never been to a Rose Bowl mm-hmm. and he goes to a Rose Bowl and uh, fitting boy, in you're saying, you know yeah. it's just it's just it's going to listen he, the goal there is to get to the playoffs and win but the reality is he didn't have that type of team this year I think the distractions affected that team coaching wise and whatnot um, but you know they've had a great season other than making the national playoffs so listen he'll He'll go off into the sunset and um, and hopefully have good health. Look, we, yeah, we, and we know that he's dealt with the health issues before in the past. That's why he left Florida the first time and took the sabbatical, if you will, and went to ESPN and then returned to coaching. And obviously we've seen his struggles so far on the sidelines when he's dealt with the health concerns. But a lot of people, Chris, think that this agreement was something that came about after the Zach Smith situation where the reason why he wasn't fired and he was just suspended for a few games was because they came to this back channel agreement behind closed doors that Urban Meyer would step down at the end of this year. Any truth to that? Um, no, not, I mean, certainly there were people, I think the president and a couple of board members wanted Urban out in the summer when this whole Zach Smith situation came out. Um, It really doesn't, it certainly doesn't make that decision of those that wanted him out. um, He doesn't make them look any better by having him coach the year. I mean, if if you wanted him out, then they kind of lost that battle because most wanted him in. I, I think if his health was really good, I still think he'd be there. I do think that the problems off the field, some of the strained relationships with the president, 
affected his health negatively, stress level, which my understanding is certainly contributing to making the situation worse. So I guess what I'm saying, I'm not discrediting what you're saying. I think mm-hmm. there is something to that, but not just directly. It's indirectly that. In other words, I think as it became obvious that, that it was something that – and I think Urban talked about it in his press conference. This started to happen health-wise last year. And it just only exacerbated itself with this off-field situation. And I think it led to that. And I think it led to some, okay, some off-the-field stuff combination, which led to increasing health problems. Um, but I, I think it, and I think Ryan Day in position, which makes them very comfortable to pass the baton, I think he'd be very, very uncomfortable if there wasn't a Ryan Day on staff. Okay. And they felt like, Oh man, what are we gonna do here? Just like I don't think Bob Stoops, I think Bob Stoops would have coached last year. They didn't have Lincoln Riley. He plucked Lincoln Riley as a potential coach of the future, and that's what he saw in Ryan Day. Ryan Day, for people who don't know, was a young, bright, up-and-coming guy. He was a quarterback at New Hampshire for then offensive coordinator Chip Kelly, and so he learned. He's got a lot of the concept that he learned from Chip Kelly mm-hmm. in those days, and and he's obviously learned some things from Urban. But he's like this this bright, shining, you know, outstanding coach, and not because he won a couple of games in the early part of the year that they were overwhelming favorites in, but the fact that Ryan Day handled things administratively with a plum, with all these distractions. He did a tremendous job, and, and I think he kind of won them over, and I think Urban felt, okay, look, I think we got our guy. I think this is great. I, I, you know, I've got enough with it. You know, I truly believe that he wanted to leave his alma mater in good shape, and I think the fact that his health is not good, his wife wants him to get out, he's not feeling good, he's not dealing well with it, you got the right guy in place. I think all of that just kind of led to this decision, but it's not like – it happened two weeks ago. I mean, this has been in place for a few weeks, and that's why they didn't want him to get out the door and take another job, and that's why they put the you know, coach in waiting in play because I think what, without telling him this, they felt like they were going to make this move at year's end, and they mm. did. And, and now it's important to do it now as opposed to after the bowl game because you've got early signing day in December, in middle of December. So, you, you know, he's getting a lot of questions, was getting a lot of questions about whether he's going to be there. He's confided into recruits uh, that he may not be there in the past two, three weeks. So it's been out there even more fervently. So I think the timing is now important. And this is something to keep in mind, that if you're going to make a coaching change, fire someone or somebody's going to retire, the transition probably needs to come a little earlier now. Because the early signing day in December is now the real signing day. In a couple of weeks, 80% of the kids are going to sign. So it's really important that if you're going to make that, that you don't – because kids could back out of those commitments, you know, after signing day. So it it causes a lot of problems if you don't get your ducks in the row. And and Urban wanted to leave on his terms and his own way, and he's able to do that. I think – there would have been no deal because I think the administration, probably the president and a couple of board members would have wanted him out in August. Mm. Well, Chris, there's plenty of coaching news. We'll get to some more of it coming up a little later on in the podcast, but I want to talk about the college football playoff rankings. You and I uh, did a show on Saturday Night Live, not Saturday Night Live. We weren't on SNL, folks, but we were (laughs) on live on Saturday as these games were being played. Could you imagine that? Let's let's, let's welcome in Chris Landry and Scott (laughs) Seidenberg. (laughs) We do a little weekend update. Uh, So we were on when, after the Oklahoma win prior to the Ohio State game and uh, right after the Alabama win. And I think you and I are in agreement. Georgia is in the conversation if you asked who are the four best teams in the country. In fact, you and I think that watching that Alabama-Georgia SEC championship game, that was your national championship. Those are the two best teams in the country. Some people have Georgia as number three behind Clemson. That's fine. Bottom line is, they are one, two, three, well, two or three in terms of the best teams in college football. And even Vegas agrees, because if you look at the potential point spreads, if they were to play against Oklahoma or Ohio State or Notre Dame, Georgia would be favored over all three of those teams. But 
we understand the way that the college football playoff committee works. And you cannot put a two-loss non-conference champion in over a worthy team. I'm not saying that you can't put them in ever, but you can't put them in over a worthy team. And Oklahoma was a worthy team. By beating Texas, they avenged their only loss of the season, which, by the way, was on a neutral field by a last-minute field goal. They avenged that loss. They beat every team on their schedule. They have a Heisman finalist as their quarterback. A one-loss Big 12 champion. They rightfully were chosen as the number four team under the current system. And I specify that, Chris. Under the current system. But for everybody that wants to argue about whether or not we need a six-team playoff or an eight-team playoff and UCF should have a chance and all these other schools should have a chance, my point is every season is different. You can always argue about who the next team is. If it's four teams, we argue about five. If it's six, we argue about seven. If it's eight, we argue about nine. Every year is different. Some years it plays out perfectly. Other years, there's debate. This year, there was more debate than there's ever been under the current college football playoff format. Well, I bring up a lot of good points. Um, We've got a lot of criteria to, quote-unquote, name the best teams in the eyes of the committee. It seems to be a little bit of a floating criteria, however, in where it kind of fits most. Um, Keep in mind that this system was put in place basically – by the commissioners of the big five conferences and Notre Dame. And so they're the ones that if and when it's going to change, it's going to come from them. And and quite frankly, to be more specific, it's going to come in concert with the TV executives that are going to say, um, this is not working. The rankings are not good. We got to change it from this format to that. I mean, that, that it, the money dictates this. But what what happens in most cases, they won't ever say this. But they're trying to keep everybody happy in that if a conference gets left out and they have a worthy contender, then that becomes an issue. It becomes a problem. Now, it's still down to money, but then that's where people get frustrated. That's the reason why no one wanted to – none of the folks involved that I'm talking about wanted to get away from the BCS system. It went to four because – Alabama and LSU played, and and that became, you know, uh, we we can't have this, so they went to four. I I think this was a case um, where last year Alabama and Georgia got in. There was a lot of consternation about Alabama getting in over Ohio State. Alabama was a one-loss non-conference champion. Ohio State was a two-loss conference champion. So there was some justification there, and they clearly thought Alabama was better. They put them in. There was a lot of resistance, I feel, to putting Alabama and Georgia in again this year. In essence, I think that people on that committee thought that Georgia was one of the four best. But they kind of live by that. The team has to be unequivocally better, Scott, which is very vague, right? Yeah. Okay. Georgia's better. How much better? Is it equivocally better? I don't know. They're better, but is there a... Okay, I mean, you know, you're watching your your comments here. Here's what I think. I think it's clear that Big 12's ticked off, Big 10's ticked off, you know, (laughs) Pac-12. I don't think they're ticked off because they realize they didn't have one, but they haven't been in this since Washington's been around. So all of a sudden, it becomes like... I hate to put it this way. I don't mean to be so flippant as if it's close, we're going to go ahead and go with one of those. And of the two, we think Oklahoma has a better resume than Ohio State, so we'll put them in. And you can justify it. As you mentioned, you can absolutely justify that Oklahoma is deserving to get in. In my eyes, looking at film, clearly George is a better team. Yes. But – you know, this is this is part of the problem that we're going to have in this system. And as you mentioned, you're always going to have an issue. If you had 16 teams in it, 17 would be disappointed. I will say this. As we go forward, there will be expansion. It won't be in the next four or five years, but it's going to happen. I, I shouldn't say that unequivocally because um, – there's that word again. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it shouldn't say that definitely – 
because something could happen that could really jumpstart this thing in a year or two. Who knows? But I, I think once we get to the point where you put conference champions in, then you got less of an argument of an at-large team. You know, if you don't get selected as an at-large team, you can always say, well, win your conference. In this case, people say, well, Georgia had their chance. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand that. Okay, Georgia had their chance because they played the best team in the country and they played them, you know, toe-to-toe while Oklahoma and Ohio State played nowhere near the, the competition that Georgia did. You know, you think if they played Alabama, they would have – of course not. So what I mean is is people look at conference championship games as a play-in. The problem is it's an unbalanced bracket in the conference championship play-ins, if of, you will. Of course, but that's, how it, is, but that's how it is in, in every sport. It, it, well, and, but, you know, in, in any type of bracket situation, yes. you'd have one versus eight, two versus seven. In this case, you got, you know, one versus two, yeah. and then seven versus eight, and the winner, well, no, no bracket does that. So, I mean, I think the reality is Georgia lost two games, but, you know, they also played tougher teams and so that factors in. And if it's going to be as simple as, well, they lost two games, this team only lost one, well, my goodness, you just shouldn't go back to the AP voting and mm-hmm. let them put it mm-hmm. in because that's the old way of doing it. And you know what that means is people are going to say, why the hell are we schedule these tough games? Let's just win. Make sure we win 11 or 12, schedule it right, and we're good. That, to me, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to say that a two-loss team is not as good as a one-loss team. That is foolish. It's nonsense. It doesn't – it's not accurate, and it, it, you, need to, you need to be more learned than that to just look at the pure numbers. And the one thing I would say, and I even said this, and I want to correct myself on it. I even tweeted out, you know, it's probably the LSU loss that cost Georgia more than anything. Well, it did, because if they had beaten LSU and the only loss was to Alabama, I think they would have had to probably put Georgia and Alabama in again. Yeah, because they would have been both, they would have been undefeated. They would have been one versus two, and then the loser would have gone to number four. I think so. Mm-hmm. Now, with that said, and I, I said, hey, the, the LSU game cost them. Georgia was ranked fourth in the standings last week. So it's long the Alabama after the, exactly. Long after exactly. the Alabama point. game was Good over. Good point. Good point. So, so I mean, yeah. you know, if that game killed them, then the, how did the, they get all the, the way up to number four? Yeah, yeah, they shouldn't have been four. They so the Alabama been, so. loss cost them because they were in the college football okay. playoff had they it with right. before the game. Yeah. Now, okay, I get it. Ohio State and Oklahoma hadn't won their conference championship game yet. So maybe that's it. And then, you know, and of course, Georgia, who's to say they couldn't have won it. So I get that to a degree. But I think when you look at their performance against Alabama, I'm not trying to reward a loss. What I'm trying to look at is saying clearly, if you're picking the four best, Georgia is one of the four best. If you want to pick four teams by another formula, of, then just say it. Four most deserving, the four best teams. You, you must, you know. You just, you, you, there, there needs to be some greater clarification. So, I think this was not something that mm-hmm. sat well with a lot of people. Um, and I think it was. I think it's political, and I think it's proven to be political before, uh, and I think it will be again. And I think it's a problem that eventually it's going to catch up with them because they're going to tick off the wrong people at the wrong time. And I think what we're going to have, it's going to be about another three or four years where they're going to sit down and vote on how this system is playing out. Because they've got their, what, five years into a 10 year, and they got another five, six years left on this deal. So in in two or three years, they're going to start planning on where they want to go with the next step on this. Uh, And it is not out of the question that if they get to be a major issue with somebody getting left out, then we couldn't see it perhaps going to a different format a little bit sooner. Another thing I'd like to say is this is not the be-all, the end-all. Upsets often win. Georgia was, I think, a 13, 14-point underdog to Alabama and played them right up to the toe-to-toe. But we got set up right now 
at least from a points print standpoint. And I think there's a potential for Notre Dame to play Clemson well, but there's a there's just as good of a potential that we could have two blowouts. Yep. And you start having that again, Scott, and it starts to – ratings in college football, TV ratings were bad this year. Now, the SEC championship game was big. The rating for Ohio State Michigan was pretty good, then, then it became a little bit of a blowout. But the ratings were down big time. Remember this, that ESPN paid gazillion dollars promising advertisers that they're going to have – Big time numbers like NFL, you know, conference championship type number ratings wise. And if they they keep if they keep if these two games are blowouts and people start turning off the TV, I mean, you and I won't, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the masses will. Then then they're going to start having a hard time because then the advertisers are going to say, "This this is not working for us." And uh, it's just something that that I want to bring but what out. Are they, that, that's but all part but of it. what do people expect though if they do have expansion, right? And let's say everyone wants this dream about right. giving UCF a chance. Well, according to some of the people that I've spoken to in Vegas, Alabama would be close to a thirty oh, yeah. point pay, thirty point favorite. Yeah. Over UCF, do yes. you think anybody wants to watch that game? Now you said it. Upsets can happen, and we want everybody to play each other out on the field. But do I want Tua getting injured in a game? where Alabama wins by 50 in the first round in a meaningless playoff game because we know that they're going to destroy the opponent? I don't want that to happen. Not only that, there are not that many teams that are worthy of playing for a national title. I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it, Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame are really the only ones that are truly deserving and then again, maybe you could throw. Which is why, and, and, and look, this is I, this is my crazy idea, but I think that moving forward, because you know how I think every year is different. I think every year should be fluid, and I think that if it's a year like this where you have the three undefeated teams, guess what? You have Alabama with a bye. And Clemson and Notre Dame play each other. The winner plays Alabama. If you have a year where only two teams are worthy, then those two teams play each other for the national championship. If you have a year where everybody else has two losses and there's only one undefeated team, guess what? You play your traditional bowl matchup and we vote you in as the national champion like we used to vote you in. But well, it's never going to happen because of the TV money that ESPN mm-hmm. has poured in to the college football playoff. To have to be the exclusive home of the college football playoff that's why it's never going to happen. But I just think that it should go on a year-to-year basis because think about this. For years, we crowned the national champion based off the writers voting for a national champion. Right. <clears throat> and there were some years, Chris, where it was debatable. Yeah. And there were some years where you had a co-national champion. Sure. No, I, it, I grew, I grew and, up with that. And we lived with it. It, we, it happened. We lived. We also had a year in which... Two teams went to a BCS National Championship game. One team didn't, and guess what? One team was crowned the BCS National Champions. The other team was crowned the Associated Press National Champions. Right. And, and that, and that's, and every, <laughs> and every one of those things were reactive because, listen, I grew up in an era where you had those games and you watched all four games on New Year's Day, and you f- tried to figure out who was going to get the vote. And people thought that it wasn't the best thing, and that's why the BCS was formed, where we put made sure that the top two teams played, which was progress. I think most people like that. So in all due respect, I think it got better. Now, as the BCS problems took place, as you mentioned, the whole USC-Oklahoma-LSU argument in 2003, um, that was because it was strictly computer-related, yep. and it kind of spit out some numbers, and then they changed the formula after that and to made it make put more emphasis on the polls, the human polls, uh, to weigh it more in that favor. And then, of course, we've gone to the playoff system. Uh, listen, it, there is no perfect system, um, and, and, and I think that – you know, here's the thing. If One argument I'd have is people say, well, you should win your conference championship. Well, then what do you do with Notre Dame who's not in a conference that's unbeaten like this year? Yeah. They don't play in a conference. And, and you know, people say, well, you, you can't win. Well, Alabama didn't win, didn't make their conference championship game last year and got in. I had somebody tweeted me and says, if you can't win your own conference championship, you are not good enough to win the national championship. Alabama did it last year. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, do people think? I mean, it, it is all conferences are not created equal. Every year, you, it is very likely that one conference could have two of the the two best teams in the country, uh, much less two of the top two, two maybe three of the top four. I think if we went to eight. We'd probably have three. We might have five teams between the pack, uh, between the Big Ten and the SEC. I think there are a lot of things where it can go. If you if you just say you you give the conference champions an automatic bid, well then you better be prepared if Pitt or Northwestern pull an upset. Exactly. And they're eight and four. Exactly. You got to be happy with them being in the playoffs. Which is what I'm saying. Every year is different. Every exactly. year it changes. Exactly. And so, there's years you know, where the conference is bad. And, and and with all due respect to Washington, the Pac-12 was bad. Washington right. lost to Auburn, right. which was the fifth place team in the SEC. That's right. It, it happens and and you said oh what if Pitt upsets Clemson all right now you got eight and five Pitt playing in the college world playoff and I guess people are going to say hey they played their way in but it's just it changes every single year and people want to yeah. bring up the argument Chris that oh when all other levels of football we have you know uh, these these playoffs and stuff and the purest form of football people always say is high school football right well in everywhere that I know about high school football there's different levels of competition That's right. and you could win the four a state title, you can win the 5A state title, the 1A state title, based off population of school and power of your conference and your division. There are different levels of football. And here in FBS, it's it's Division 1A, there are still different levels. And that's why there's a Power 5 and there's a Group of 5. And unfortunately for the Group of 5, it's going to take a lot to get a team in there. And for the Power Five, it's a little easier. But even in the Power Five, there's still a power dynamic with the top-tier conferences and the lower-tier conferences, which can change on a year-to-year basis. Yeah, and, you know, I don't want to go into grave detail. I did it, I've done it on my podcast. But I, my feeling has always been I wanted to use the bowl systems uh, a little more prudently than we do now. I yep. think right now – that the systems, I love the bowl games, I watch the bowl games, but most of them are meaningless. We're going to have Army-Navy this week, we're going to have, you know, and then and then we're going to have to wait, you know, three weeks, four weeks before we get to the games that people care about, and that is the ones that are going to lead to New Year's Day, or actually December 29th this year, Then that's going to lead to the, to the um, you know, the, the championship game. What I've always believed is college football is his own worst enemy, and that we should we should take this month of December and make it for college football what March is for college basketball. And I just simply say take the best teams, the teams that have proven to have the best years. Because as you said, every year is different. Mm -hmm. So now what you do is reward the best teams that have had the best years. But we still would like to see a little bit more to determine who's better between this team and that team. Let's put the best teams in the best bowl games. And let's take the group of five teams and put them in some bowl games and have their own little championship. And maybe, you know, if you win that, maybe the winner of the group of five, maybe they get to a bowl game and, and they and another, a bigger bowl game. And then they could possibly win that. And then we you pick two or four teams after the bowl games. And then then you have your playoffs, a two team playoff or 14 playoffs. At that point, you would clear up any doubt because mm-hmm. right now what you have is you still have a sport as much as it is national. It's regional in every region and that you've got your conferences you've got to go through and people say, well, eliminate the conference championship games. Well, then how do you do that? How do you know who's going to who's your champion of the SEC or the or the ACC? I mean, they can't. The, the conferences have gotten too big, so you can't you can't play everyone. So what do you do? Vote on who the best team in the league is. You gotta. You, you don't. You can only. You know, be. You can only through the regular season prove that you're best in the West or the East or Coast or Atlantic or whatever, however it's set up. So North South. So you know, to some degree, you work your way through. You have a good year, and you don't take necessarily a team that won a conference championship game and maybe an upset and put them in a playoff, but basically look at the entire season and take the importance of the regular season and just extend the regular season to the bowl games and then put the best teams in the best bowl games and pick I think all you'd have to do is pick two. But if you wanted pick four after that, pick four would mean, you know, a couple of extra games for the teams that 
made it, which is that's an argument in the discussion, which is why two is a possibility. But to me, you could pick two after the bowl games, and you got one extra game. And I don't. I mean, to me, you would have you would not have any discussion about Georgia or Oklahoma, Ohio State, because that would be handled by the results in the bowl games. That would tell you who's most deserving. Because right now, you're saying this team, this school did this against this competition. This is we compare these apples to these oranges, <laughs> and there's no way to do it. It's just, and, and you know, and it's it's the same thing every year. The same moaning and groaning by by different fan bases that think this or that that bring the argument they 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 come up with their answer scott and they try to try to fit their argument to their answer and it's like they ignore it's it's like being in court you know you bring <laughs> out you bring out your point and you you totally ignore the things that you contradict yourself in some ways i, I just to me I just think the bowls, if you did that, you'd have more meaningful bowl games where you don't know, depending on the results, somebody might really surprise and you think they're eh, they're only 11 and one, but you know they haven't played to have a really good bowl game and kind of win the win the you know the, the the case for making a case for being the two or the four after the bowl game it, it makes everybody engaged in the bowl atmosphere it makes the bowl games more prominent and it would probably if not eliminate would certainly uh decrease all these guys that are declining to play in the bowl games because the bowl games are quote-unquote meaningless unless they're in the playoffs i think we've let the bowls just die on the vine and it is you don't even you i can't even evaluate pro prospects in it because they're not playing most of them um the only thing that's good about it scott is that it, it's it it helps you prepare for the next season but really it might make a little bit of difference if you win your bowl game or you don't if you've won nine or ten games maybe you get to that threshold but really how important is it for the holiday ball or the sun ball it's just not that relevant, and I think these playoffs have rendered these bowl games virtually meaningless, and I think if you use them to break these ties as to who the best teams are and just pick two teams after after January 1st, that makes the most sense to me. Yep, and give them the week to prepare. It does make sense. Yep. Well, we're going to get to all the bowl games coming up in next week's episode because the first bowl game is the Cure Bowl, which will be on Saturday, December 15th. So we'll have our bowl extravaganza next week right here, Rush the Field College Football Podcast with myself, Scott Seidenberg, and Chris Landry. Now, Chris, let's get to some of the other coaching news around the country. Obviously, Urban Meyer being the biggest one, but it looks like Maryland has their men, and it's Mike Loxley, the offensive coordinator at Alabama, the guy who we felt was their number one target, and it seems like they have finally gotten their guy. Yeah, he's uh, it's going to be his third stint on the Maryland staff. He's been on a couple of uh, staffs there before. He's a former head coach at New Mexico and had some issues on and off the field there, but he's done a really good job for Nick Saban at Alabama. He's a Washington, D.C. native. Um, he is the one responsible if you see some of – uh, some players from the Beltway that are on Alabama's roster, and there's like nine of them over the years. Mm. It, it's been it's been Mike that's done that. He's known as a great recruiter, and they've got a lot of talent there. And it's been long thought that Maryland is a is a you know burgeoning you know you know a blossoming program that if they can get some players in the Beltway there um, to stay, that they have a chance to be pretty good. So uh, we'll see. And certainly the fact that I think he was. Uh, from the board, um, uh, you know, from from people in the administration, I think they felt like uh, he would be a good fit. And, and certainly anybody that's been touched by Nick Saban uh, seems to, to have kind of the golden <laughs> the golden child, so to speak. So we'll see how it works out. But it's a good move for him. Of course, it's a big week for him. He was voted the Brawls um, Award winner, which goes to the top assistant yep. coach in the country. Mm-hmm. He and Dan Enos have done a really good job. For people who might want to know, what's Alabama going to do? I fully expect Nick Saban to promote Dan Enos, who is – the real force behind developing Jalen Hurts as a passer and doing a good job with Tua. So um, I think they'll 
Nick Saban's always prepared for this. Um, that that's why he has a lot of co-coordinators and different guys and titles and positions. But congratulations to Mike. We we had it on LandryFootball.com on Friday that they were they had the offer in hand that just wanted to meet with him after the conference championship game on Saturday. They did so on Sunday, offered him the job, and uh, they will have an official announcement uh, th- this week. USC is hiring Cliff Kingsbury to be their new offensive coordinator. This was something that was rumored to happen, but I thought Cliff Kingsbury would maybe leave himself open to possibly going to the NFL. But it seems like USC was the the place that he wanted to be. Ultimately, he's going to be their offensive coordinator, and who knows, maybe their head coach in waiting. We'll see what happens. Uh, but Kingsbury to USC, you like that decision? Uh, first of all, on the NFL situation, uh, he did talk to a couple of people. But remember, the NFL coaching cycle is behind the college football cycle, yes. obviously, with the season. So, like, for example, there was some conversations with Sean McVay about him coming on board as a consultant. So let's just say, you know, Zach Taylor off the Ram staff gets one of these jobs. Maybe it's the Packer job or some other job that opens up. Then, you know, it would, I think the conversations were along the lines, if you come here as a consultant and, you know, maybe, maybe we've got a, a bigger role for you if one of our guys like Zach moves on. But if he doesn't move on, then you're kind of there as a consultant. So what it really came down to is a bird in a hand better than two in the bush, right? I mean, he, he didn't have – no one was in a position to offer him an offensive coordinator job in the NFL right now. And while there was some interest, and I think there potentially could be one, um, the USC job is a good one, something that intrigues him. So, as you mentioned, last week the offer was made, and he wanted to explore a couple of NFL opportunities, and, and that's where we are now. So he gets the job. Now, let me say this, Scott. I I think Cliff is really good young coach with good, bright ideas. I don't know that I see this as as good a fit as other people do. I think that um, his style, and he's from the Mike Leach tree. Um, you know, I see USC, and when I look at USC's problems, I see that they don't look like they have been. They've got some talent there. But for USC, they need to be big, strong, and physical on both sides of the line of scrimmage. They should be the Clemson, the Ohio State the Alabama, the Georgia of the West Coast, Scott. I mean, they should be running the football down people's throat, throwing the football over across the field. And I don't see them running a gimmicky-style offense, which is what I really see this Texas Tech-Mike Leach offense is. I don't see that. I mean, that's what you run when you're at Washington State. That's what you run when you're at Texas Tech. You don't run that at Texas or Oklahoma or, or, or Alabama or Georgia or USC. I I don't know. I think he could help JT Daniels out, develop as a quarterback. But to me, it's about fixing some of the recruiting elements. I think USC's just kind of put themselves behind the eight ball. And next year at this time, I'm afraid we're going to be talking about something that we'll be saying they could have done mm. this last year. I, I, I have concerns about how this is going to fit. Louisville has their new man, right? Satterfield is going to get the job there yes. from Appalachian State. And you want to talk about a coaching job. Ever since they moved up to FBS with Division One, right? What, three conference championships in five years, I believe it is, for yes. Appalachian State? Yes. And and, and this, is a, this is a program that dominated at the 1AA level. Of course, everyone remembers the win against Michigan, which was mm-hmm. ages ago. But even even after that, they still had victories over FB, FBS schools. So this guy's done a tremendous job the past couple of years there. And uh, I think a, a very good hire by Louisville. It is. And I, I don't know how many people out there listening, Scott, has been to Appalachian State. Their facilities are phenomenal. In, in fact, well, they, they've been trying to be elevated to this level for some time. And, well, they and, have. Yeah. But, you know, the point is, is they've, they've had success at every level and they put a lot of money. I mean, they've won. And much like, you know, North Dakota State. I mean, you go there and, and you say, boy, that looks like a program. Yeah. It's a big time program. We, they got tremendous facilities in Boone, North Carolina, and so it looks really. Good. It is a great program, and and may call it a stepping stone program because you you can win there, and you will be successful, and you 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 move up. And so, I guess what I'm saying is they've got facilities that look good 
for S- FBS level. I mean, they're they're kind of you know higher up the the totem pole than a lot of programs that have a lot more profile. Um, I in Louisville certainly has done a good job with their facilities. Scott's going to do a really good job, and and I got to give Louisville a lot of credit. Um, they've had a lot of you know turmoil there, but they targeted Jeff Brom. They wanted him, and they went they went as high as they thought they could go money wise. Jeff decided to stay at Purdue, and I put it up on LandryFootball.com. We were following this closely, uh, and I had it. I said it looks like Jeff Brom was likely not going to take it and they were going to quickly go to scott satterfield as their second choice and they had a plan in place and again of course scott was coaching in the championship game and they had it in in place and once it was done they basically wrapped up that deal it's being just announced but this has been done since sunday and early monday so congrats for them identifying a really good coach that's done an outstanding job and I, i think louisville's got them a really good coach that knows how to recruit in that area and that recruiting area that Louisville works in, in it's right along lines of where where Scott's from so he's got a lot of ties to the high school coaches in that area so I'm excited for that program uh, to get in and, and sometimes it's better than you know everyone thinks it's the home run hire when the the favorite son comes home but <laughs> you know i just it doesn't always work i mean it, it hadn't been as as exciting as people thought at michigan has it i mean it just doesn't always work there jeff jeff tedford is doing a great job at his alma mater fresno state so it, kirby's at, at georgia doing a great job but but i think that this is going to work out really well and probably some other schools are going to say man lovo's done a good job and by the way you know, through and it's the different athletic director now. Louisville's done a really good job of hiring coaches when you think about it. Other than Petrino the second time. Yeah. I mean, every other – Craig Thorpe didn't work out all that well because Petrino left the program in bad shape before. But if you think about it, they've hired good coach after get Charlie Strong. I mean, you go back, you know, Petrino originally – you know, Charlie Strong. I mean, they've done a really nice job there for some time hiring really good coaches, and I think this will um, this will serve them well. One piece of player news here, Kelly Bryant is going yes. to go to Mizzou, uh, and what does what does he bring to this Missouri program, and do you think we'll be hearing the name Kelly Bryant uh, come, well, I guess he's going to sit out a year, but come, uh, come tw- 2020, I guess. Well, he's he's actually he's going to be eligible. Oh, right he's away. eligible. Okay, yeah. he is the big thing. Is oh, that's lose. right, because he played the four games, and then he, he doesn't lose the year of eligibility. Correct. Yes. So, so Drew Locke is gone. We yep. know that. And, and if you look at you know Lindsey Scott's a, an athletic quarterback that they have, probably not ready. Michael Wilson is a sophomore there. Um, he can come in and play right away. Uh, this is they were really excited he was really excited and listen he 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 looked at at auburn um he looked at arkansas and i would have said that in missouri and in north carolina and i would have probably put missouri third or fourth on the list on my anticipation of where he would go but obviously barry oldham and Derek dooley sold him on what they're going to do offensively and some of the concepts they have and he's really excited about it so uh, he comes in he helps them in a spot where they obviously are going to need somebody to replace drew lock and that's that's a program that uh, that did a great job barry oldham finished the season very strong and uh, so good good for him he's excited he gets his opportunity um, and uh, good for Barry and uh, Derek Dooley getting him to come on board. South Carolina was not involved in this chase. No, it was not. Um, they've they've got a couple of young kids that they like, but no, they weren't really involved in it. Um, I think he wanted to leave state. I, I don't think he would have been interested in staying that close uh-huh. uh, to to the fire, so to speak. Being, <laughs> being at uh, Clemson, uh, it was it was had a visit at North Carolina. I think you know that maybe. Um, before some of the, you know, obviously some of the changes, Max there, but mm-hmm. a lot of the thought would be at Auburn, but you know, because Stidham, because Stidham's leaving, he's going to the NFL. Stidham's leaving, but yeah. Chip Lindsay, the offensive coordinator, left because uh-huh. they're making changes at Auburn. Gus Malzahn's situation, that that that, you know, Chip Lindsay's left Auburn to, to go to Kansas because it's it's such a mess at Auburn right now, and and then the Arkansas situation where I thought would make a lot of sense because Chad Marsh was involved in recruiting him to Clemson, um, but he he chose Missouri. So, 
a little bit of a surprise to me. You can always follow me on Twitter at Scott's on Air and follow Chris on Twitter at Landry Football because you got to just stay locked in. Learn what NFL teams and college programs already know by joining LandryFootball.com today and now get an even greater holiday discount. A perfect holiday gift for you or your loved one that gives all year long. From the film room analysis on the remaining college and NFL games this season to the analysis of the recruiting classes in college football, upcoming draft class free agency, and all the latest inside information from around the college and NFL teams that Chris Landry works with on a daily basis. And don't forget all the coaching search info. We told you about some of the news that broke already. If you go to LandryFootball.com, Chris has it all there detailed out for you well in advance. It's less than a magazine subscription, and now even with an even greater holiday discount, all you got to do is tell them that you heard about it right here on Rush the Field, the college football podcast that you guys love to download and listen to right chris and you're right and scott you know now's the time to let our podcast listeners receive some free benefits from our new giveaways it's very easy to participate folks by going to landryfootball.com click on contact chris that's on the top line information bar on the website you'll see it contact chris click it and send you a little email we're going to begin giving away some prizes some subscriptions gifts and even occasional first release news it's not fit for publication but it's only heard inside the the working inside the football industry you can become a part of that so do us a favor sign up today so we can show our appreciation to you our listeners so go right to the website landryfootball.com click on contact chris again that's on the top right hand information bar Click on that, put your email in, just say you want to sign up for the free uh, email list, and we'll get you signed up and And, entered in. Yeah, and if you have a question or a comment and you want to contribute to this podcast and you want to give your opinion on your favorite college team, go to that link as well, the Contact Chris on top of LandryFootball.com, and we'll read some of your questions. We'll read some of your comments on the next edition of this podcast on Rush the Field. Be sure to also download the Landry Football Podcast because you get all your NFL news each and every Tuesday and Thursday. And follow Chris on Twitter at LandryFootballMail.com. Me at Scott's on air, rush the field with me, Scott Seidenberg, and veteran scout coach and consultant Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course RadioInfluence.com. Chris and Scott, I want to ask you before you know before we head on out, we yep. got Army Navy this week mm-hmm. ought to be real interesting. I know you up there in that area, and it'll be interesting because this Army team's played well. Remember, we've talked about Oklahoma. Boy, did they take them to the hilt into overtime? Good-looking Army team. Navy's the underdog. This ought to be a really good one. You know, for years, it was kind of lopsided. This game has become more intriguing in the last couple of years, and it should be a really good one again this week, don't you think? Well, it was Navy winning every single year, but yeah. Army has won, Chris, back-to-back yep. games for the first time since 1995 and 1996. And you mentioned how good their team is playing this year. They're seven-point favorites. If you're going by the point spread, I would lean towards Navy just because these games mm-hmm. usually tend to be a close score. I think last year was a one-point victory, 14-13, or yeah, I think it was 14-13 last year. So I would go with Navy plus the points, but I think Army wins for the third straight year. Yeah, I think it's going to be a close one as well. Wouldn't surprise me as Navy pulled the upset, though. But uh, I agree with you. This Army team is playing better. And it's great to see the competitiveness of this game. And it will be close. You're not going to be a lot of – for all the – you know, if, if, you, if you're yeah. tired of watching the Big 12 games – this will be your medicine for that. And, and, You'll see a lot of ground control. Yeah, and, and I'll admit something now since we're off the air and we're not recording. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, that, uh, yeah, you know, I do get emotional every year watching the alma maters after the game. Yeah. Because no, it's, what it's, you have really to understand, and, and I tweet it out every single year, and, and you guys, again, follow me because I'll tweet it, again, tweet it out again this year at Scott's On Air. It gets me emotional because these men that are playing are enemies on the field. But as soon as this game is over, as soon as they graduate, they are all teammates. And they play on the same team, which is the United States of America, and they sacrifice everything to protect our way of life. And that's what gets me every time watching this football game, because they can hate each other on the football field. But when it comes to the battlefield, they're all brothers. Yeah, and it's really special. I've had the good fortune to to guys go to about 
10 or 11 of these over the years and it's just been a lot of fun and of course you know as a scout there's not a lot of prospects but i've always tried to make it a point to get to them and um to just appreciate you know um and show respect for what they've done for the reasons that you mentioned it is it is a unique game and there was a time there's a point in time in this country where army and navy were top five programs and national powers mm-hmm. and they were the best in heisman the trophy football. winners yes yeah. heisman trophy winners i mean roger starbeck still one of the greatest college players ever seen um but it's a different it's a different game now and certainly though they're competitive and to watch them i don't know how many people saw it because it was kind of on a pay-per-view situation but their game against oklahoma was unbelievable oklahoma's defense we know they've struggled they could i mean they i think they had the ball for like six minutes the entire mm-hmm. game. army kept the game the ball the entire game so uh no it is great and uh i wish we had more games going we've got some some playoff games and uh, the uh the fcs and yeah, the stag bowl two and three absolutely so <laughs> got some good games this weekend but it, it's going to be a little hollow without the big matchups it's always uh, is that way this time of year but army navy is going to be a lot of fun and uh, we'll keep everybody updated on, on that and the bowl previews and of course got the big news with recruiting uh, coming up in a couple of weeks we'll keep everybody updated on uh, that here and on landryfootball.com well chris enjoy the game this saturday and we'll talk again next week hey look forward to it scott I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. 